Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded on November 21st, 2013. The theme of the evening was The Fall. Your next uh, storyteller's done the show once before. Uh, he's a really funny actor, and he's a musician as well. His band is playing later tonight. Uh, they're called Stompcat. And the, memor- uh, the information I've been given is that it's a New Year's show at the Skylark. That had better be right, Robert, if you have fucking shamed me again. <laughs> it seems like a little early for a New Year's show, but, I mean, they book New Year's shows so full around then I can see why you'd want one early. <laughs> When the time is ripe and you can just choose any venue. But later tonight, Skylark Lounge, uh, he has an electro band called Stompcamp. Please welcome Mark Sonnenblick. Yeah, we got a New Year's show tonight. Uh, we wanted to have the first New Year's of the year. So uh, it's 11 p.m., Skylark Lounge, no cover. Listen to some music, why not? Uh, man, I'm very excited to be telling a story tonight. Uh, the fall is the theme. Um, I chose to interpret the fall as like, uh, what I'm about to say is obviously a bullshit justification for why it doesn't have to do with autumn, right? But it's like the moment when, okay, it's a fall. You choose to jump. The moment when that jump just is a fall. It's no longer an intentional action you take, but something that is spiraled into something terrible and horrible. Uh, and you're falling. How is that sort of justified? All right, someone's nodding. That I'll take that as a full endorsement from the whole audience. Um, so this uh, this story takes place in Alaska. Uh, I was up there. I was working at a uh, an arts camp, um, and we were up in Alaska. We're in this camp. It ended kind of mid July, and so me and a couple other friends who were up there decided we're in Alaska. When's the next time we're going to be in Alaska? Maybe never for our whole lives. So let's do something while we're here, something Alaskan, after camp is over. And our friend had invited us up to uh, work at this camp. So he knew Alaska. He was from Alaska. And he suggested, why don't you guys do a hike? Do like a big hike. And this was great because, you know, I don't backpack that much, but I like backpacking when I do. Um, And the other people, most of my other friends who were up there had also backpacked, except for one person who had never done it before. He was super nervous. We were like, it's backpacking. You just we'll go out there. It'll be super fun. It'll be a couple of days. It'll be very chill. And the guy who proposed the hike to us um, was very reassuring as well. He said, you know, it's, it's really a two-day hike, but we'll do it in three days, have a little bit more time out in the wilderness. We'll take it easy, take it slow. Uh, and we're going to hike across this island. Um, just It's an island called Baranoff Island. It's, it's up in Alaska. And uh, so it seemed like a pretty good deal to us. Although we were... I mean, we were a little bit uh, wary because the guy who was pitching this to us, uh, he was from Alaska. He hiked a lot. He ran ultra marathons kind of for fun. It wasn't even like an ultra marathon. Hey, today's the ultra marathon. It was just he would go and run one and then like come back and be like, oh, hey, what did you do yesterday? I just ran an ultra marathon. It was that kind of a day. Uh, so he's a pretty intense physical guy. Um, so we wanted to make sure we were like, you know, just so you know, we backpacked. We're not intense backpackers. But he said, you know, I'd take your parents on this hike. It's super easy. Uh, I've done it before. It should be, if it's a beautiful day, the, the conditions should be great. So uh, we, got, we got kind of excited. Um, and uh, days sort of approached towards the end of camp. 
And uh, he prepped us more. He kind of, we, we were getting gear together. He brought us uh, a map and said, let me just show you the hike we're doing. Okay, cool. Takes out the map and is like, okay, oh, there's one thing I didn't tell you. We are going to be going across a glacier as part of the hike. Not a big deal. I just kind of want to give you the rundown. Um, you know, if we come across crevasses, here's what we'll do. And it was the word crevasse that I kind of went, let's hang on a second, because my experience with crevasse was the, is the movie uh, Vertical Limit, where there's a crevasse, and the main important thing about the crevasse is that everyone falls in it and dies. So that was the main takeaway I got about crevasses. That's what I associate with crevasses. So he mentioned that. We were like, really? But he said, no, no, don't worry about it. Um, it's very unlikely we'll encounter one. And if we do, I'll like, take the stick and poke, and they'll tell us. He obviously explained it in a more reassuring way than that, but that was about what it was. He like, had a stick, and like, he just made sure it wasn't going to fall through. And we said, we were, you know, we're really not the best. He reassured us, don't worry about it. Uh, it's not a big deal. Um, I promise, you know, I obviously... You're my friends. I'm not going to take you somewhere you're uncomfortable. It's really very safe. So you're like, okay, great. Uh, we get near the day before. He brings us the group gear equipment we're going to be using uh, to backpack. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, make sure you, okay, you leave some space for the crampons when you guys get all your stuff together. And we went, crampon? We're not, we're not girls, right? We don't need those. That was a, we didn't really make that joke. That would have been a t- stupid pun to make that if you made in front of a crowd of the deer pile, no one would laugh, right? So we knew not to make it then either. Uh, but the, uh, we were nervous, like, what are crampons? Uh, and he said, this is what you just use. We need them in case we slip on the ice and fall off the glacier. Because uh, apparently the glacier is slanted, and if you slip you slide and you fall off of it. So the crampons are just a little security measure, little spikes that grip into the ice and make sure you don't fall off of the giant mountain that we have to climb over to get across the island. So again, at this point, we say, listen, I know that you think, you know, you haven't hiked with us before. I'm sure you think we're good hikers, but we're really not. Please assume that we've never hiked. And we had a friend who had never hiked before. Never, you know, he'd been out into a park, but had never actually... (laughs) put a backpack on and gone to hike. So we wanted to make it very clear, partly just because this guy had never done it. Um, but he said, it's really, they're there for precautionary purposes. Uh, it's really not going to be that big a deal. And we really did want to get out and see the Alaskan wilderness because we'd kind of been confined in this little sort of campground site. It was beautiful, but it wasn't the wilderness. So we said, all right, great. So it's the last day of camp. He gave us the gear. Um, and final day of camp, we were counselors uh, there were kids still there, but camp was pretty much over. So it was the farewell night of partying. There was drinking involved. There was some light drug use. Uh, not like light drug use, but light drug use. It was pretty heavy usage of light drugs. And so we, we were pretty... Uh, it, it, it was a good night, but we knew we had to wake up early, and we had to, we had to wake up at like 6, get our stuff together in order to be at where we were meeting the car by 7, uh, because, and this also should have been a tip-off as to the nature of the hike, we were being driven to go and ride with fishermen to where they fished, because there was no real public, like, any way to get to where we were going to uh, hike from, except to load into the back of this fishing truck, and they'd drive us and drop us out there in this remote part of Alaska, but... <laughs> This, for some reason, didn't ring alarm bells. There were other things that did. That did not. But we knew we had to be up early. 
So we have a good time, but we're ready to go. We wake up at 6 a.m., we're getting our gear together, and we realize the guy who hasn't backpacked before is not with us. Um, he isn't meeting us in kind of the common area where we, where we have all our gear together. So I'm like, okay, guys, you know what? Get the stuff together. Get the group things. I'll go wake him up. I'll make sure he's probably just tired. I mean, you know, he was very drunk last night. Knock on his door. No answer. Open the door. He's out cold in the bed. I shake him. I wake him up. God, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. First lie he tells me is I'm up. The second lie he tells me is I'm going to meet you in the common area in 10 minutes. So 10 minutes go by. He's not there. I go back thinking, Fuck, he hasn't even moved. He's still in bed. We got to meet this guy. And just to explain this a little bit further, the guy who's taking us on the hike, totally straight edge. The nicest, nicest guy, but spends all his days running ultra marathons in the outdoors, is not going to take too kindly to us. His dad is driving us to the fisherman pickup zone. So uh, it's, he's doing us a huge favor. He's not going to be the kind of thing where we can show up being like, you know, we really got to leave at 11 because we're <laughs> drunk out of our minds. So I really want to get this guy on top of it. I go back to his room thinking he probably hasn't moved. The good news is he has moved. The bad news is he's moved so that he's kneeling next to his bed with his head lying on the bed like this, totally asleep. Uh, so like, you've got to wake up. We've got to go, man. You haven't even moved. And he's like, I did move. I need to brush my teeth. Why do you need to brush your teeth? Bring your stuff out. I've got to brush my teeth. I've got to do it. Why? I threw up everywhere. He'd thrown up in the hallway outside of all his kids' rooms just throw up everywhere. He had to brush his teeth, tell his co-counselor, who was going to have to usher the kids, we were leaving a little bit early to go on this hike, that not only does he have to get rid of all the kids on his own, he has to clean up all the vomit. So, he went like, it doesn't matter, we're doing that. He leaves his co-counselor. I don't know how that wound up. We finally managed to pile him into the car, say like, this guy's really tired, he probably won't be talking much, but don't worry, he's totally psyched for this hike that he has never, ever had a backpack on before. So he's drunk. He's still totally drunk. We are also exhausted from the night before, and we start off on this three-day mild easy hike, all right? First hour is wonderful, beautiful. We're by this lake. We're on his dirt road. No problem, right? Then immediately it becomes clear that there's no trail to go on. When I've hiked before, there's a trail. The trail here is you, like, find a bush, and you push your way through the bush with your arms so that it snaps around you and then you just kind of keep pushing all the way through. And the nice thing is all the bushes are made up of stinging nettles. So it's like, <laughs> great, push through the bush and I'm full of stinging nettles. That first day, we went three, just under three miles in ten hours. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. We get to the point where we're up high, we're in the mountains, and this is the moment when you think to yourself, what point do you push on, become strong, strong people? And what point do you say, this has gone terribly. I'm no longer jumping. I'm falling. I'm tumbling down terribly to my death. In this case, literally, because the place where we camped, we could see giant sheer walls of rock all around us. And the next day was the glacier day where we were going to slide off and potentially fall and smash ourselves. And it was a moment of intensity because we'd had a terrible day. The guy who brought us out there clearly also felt terrible as he realized that we were incompetent. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. We gave him a lot of heads up. But we're sitting there, right? I felt like we were pretty honest. Uh, we're, so we, we, he went with one of his friends, another girl who was also well-experienced with hiking. And we're sitting there thinking, are we going to keep going? We told him, we really don't think so. We think we got to go back. And this girl gives one of the most impassioned, invigorating speeches I've ever heard. 
she just turns to us and goes, guys, when you're out in the wilderness, an unfamiliar place, might be the wilderness, might be some new job you have, might be a new place that you go to, there will be challenges that you face, points at which you think you can go no further, points at which you think your physical and mental capacity has been exhausted and you will not, cannot continue Nothing within you will allow you to continue, maybe for fear of what's to come, maybe for fear that you won't even be able to continue. But that's the point at which, when you push past it, you grow. You learn something about yourself, and you become a bigger, better person. We know it's safe. We've done this hike before. You guys think that you can't do it, but I'm here to tell you that you can. And if you get those packs on tomorrow morning, we will get up, we will cross this glacier, and it will not be a big deal, but you will become somebody other than you are right now, somebody better and bigger. I mean, we obviously didn't do it, right, because it was crazy. <laughs> there was a glacier. We didn't know. We, could, we got three miles in 10 hours. One guy was terrified of heights. The other guy... <laughs> The, uh, the other guy who had never backpacked before, he was actually the only person all day who hadn't complained. Because it's like, what, you were drunk, you'd gone on this, you haven't said a word this whole time as we're heading back down, right, through the other 10 hours past the nice little lake. And he said, no, are you, I've never gone before, I didn't really want to go, I just kind of assumed this is what it was going to be anyway. Just terrible, <laughs> terrible backpacking. That was my expectation, that's exactly what it was, and I'm totally fine. So... The, <laughs> The main lesson I learned that day uh, was that, first of all, to really, really check if you know your friend. First, so the, the person who gave us the speech and the person who invited us then ran this entire three-day trip in, in about the 10 hours it took us to do it, like the next weekend, because they're both ultramarathon runners. But, you know, suss out a little bit more what it is you're signing up for, but also, like, if you just have expectations that are so terrible when you're going to something new that nothing that happens new can possibly be worse than those expectations, you're going to probably turn out A-OK. -okay. Uh, that's my story, more or less. Thanks, guys. That's Mark Sonnenblick. Your next storyteller is totally new to our show. She uh, contacted us off of our Facebook site. She's a writer who just moved here from Chicago. And her Twitter handle, if you want to follow her on Twitter, is YesJessica. Please welcome Jessica Thompson. I've always thought of fall as being a time of new beginnings. I know that's kind of counterintuitive. If you read literature or poetry, usually that's spring when all the plants are cropping up, but I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago going to public schools. So fall was when you get new clothes and a new backpack and new teachers and there's new students. And it's kind of the time of year that you can reinvent yourself. And I, it's been a while since I graduated high school, but from what I remember, you have about two weeks. And how you act those first two weeks of school that's, how, that's who you are the rest of the year. Like in February, you can't just decide to be someone different because everyone's going to call bullshit and say, no, we've seen you every day. Like, try again next year. <laughs> uh, so that's why it's not very surprising that my, you know, I was kind of a nervous, awkward, 
prudish uh, child and teen, so it's not that surprising that my first kisses were in the fall. And that's the story that I'm telling you today. And I did have two, so I don't know if I'm lucky or unlucky, but I had two first kisses. Um, <laughs> when, when I was growing up, my parents, my family was kind of conservative Christian, and they had told me that when you're 16, that's when you start dating, that's when you have your first kiss. And they didn't tell it to me like a rule. I didn't think, they weren't saying, you can't date till you're 16. They taught it to me as if it were fact. So I thought, you know, when you turn 16, you get your driver's license, you kiss boys. That's what everyone does. It's just how the world works. And then when I was 12 and I went to middle school, I was um, a little surprised and disturbed when my friends started kissing people. And it was as weird to me as if they had just... Dr driven up in a car and I uh, thought it was gross and that we were too young and everyone should stop and then two years later when middle school was over and I was 14 I started to think okay everyone's doing this now maybe I'm the one who's wrong um, fuck that when I'm a freshman in high school I'm not going to be the weird girl who never has a boyfriend and never kisses anyone I'm going to go for it so I got kind of lucky my first I think it was my first week of freshman year, a guy asked me out, like asked me to be his girlfriend, and he was hot. <laughs> and so I said yes, and we hung out alone, and even though I was nervous, I kissed him, but I made sure it didn't go too far. I, I would only kiss him for a few seconds at a time. And <laughs> when I hung out with my friends after that, I was really excited because for the past two years of middle school, they would talk about their boyfriends or who they were kissing and I would never have anything to contribute. So now I had something to contribute and I still remember very distinctly and I was trying to be really cool about it just casually saying oh you know Dustin and I make out now and uh, I felt so cool and really like I belonged for probably about two minutes until one of my friends made a comment like yeah it took you long enough to have your first French kiss and I said, well, we haven't reached that stage. We just open mouth kiss, at which point in time everyone laughed at me and said, that's not a stage. The first stage is French kissing. And I was like, no, that's like the third or fourth. Like you hold hands, you kiss on the cheek, you peck, and then you open mouth. And they're like, open mouth? Like you made that up. No one. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, it looks like it is making out. You're mouth I felt the wetness of his inner lip it was real and um, they all made fun of me and told me I had never made out with anyone and I felt very humiliated I mean once just when it happened but twice later when I reflected and thought Dustin's had girlfriends before he probably thinks I'm weird because every time he tries to put his tongue in my mouth I stopped kissing because I didn't think we were at that level yet um, so being the the mature 14 year old I was uh, I told him I didn't like him anymore and broke up with him <laughs> and I didn't I didn't have a boyfriend again until I was 19 but when I was 17 um, it was the summer before my senior year of high school, and I made the same sort of resolution. I said, okay, it didn't work last time, <laughs> but for my senior year, I'm going to be a fun girl who drinks and makes out with guys, and I'm not going to be that chick who never has a boyfriend and has, has never been kissed even as a senior. And so I had my big chance the very first week of school, um, I drove a 93 Dodge Caravan. 
So <laughs> I got invited to every party because I could load it up with people. And one of my friends got, got invited to a party that it was a keg party at a different school, which is perfect because it's like all new people that you don't know. And so I picked up all my girlfriends. We went to this party. It was um, west of our suburb, which means farther from Chicago, kind of countryish. So there was a bonfire and kind of woodsy area. And I walked in and said, this is perfect. <laughs> like, there's alcohol, so I won't be as nervous. Um, none of these guys go to my school, so if they think I'm a bad kisser, they can't tell anyone. And I drove, so I have total control. If I make out with a guy and he's like, you're disgusting, I can just walk to my van and leave. <laughs> so I decided this is it. This is my big change. Uh, it's happening tonight, and it did. It did. I, I walked around, and I was looking and trying to pick out the guy I was going to have my first or my second first kiss with. Uh, my first real kiss with tongue, and I, <laughs> I saw a guy who looked like a little ugly, but not too ugly, <laughs> and I was like, yep, <laughs> that's great. I'm not, I'm not intimidated by him, but um, I'm also not grossed out. Like, I could kiss him. I could, I, I could kiss him for a few minutes and never see him again and be fine with that. Like, I wasn't trying to enjoy myself. I was trying to get it over so I could feel as cool as all of my friends had, had felt since, like, seventh grade. Um, I didn't know how to flirt, so I just sat on the bench in front of the bonfire next to him until he talked to me. I, don't, I think he talked about sports. I forget. He was very boring, and I just kept nodding and being like, yeah, cool, until he finally said, do you want to take a walk? And I was so excited because I had seen many people take walks, and I knew what it meant. <laughs> um, we walked about 20 feet away, stood behind a pine tree, and made out, probably for like five or ten minutes. <laughs> and then I said, you know, I should really see what my friends are up to. And we came back, and I was so excited. Like, it happened. I was a real person now. I counted. Um, <laughs> I wasn't a loser anymore. And I found my friends, and I didn't tell them what happened, but I just said, we got to go, because I knew this party's not getting any better. That was the pinnacle of the evening. I was ready. So we get in my van, and this was kind of a country home, a few acres, and it has this like grav long gravel driveway. So I'm driving in my van kind of slowly, like there's no lights, just trying to make it to the main road. And all of a sudden, I hear someone yelling like, wait, stop, no, wait. And I look in my little side view mirror, and I see the dude running. And I just keep going, thinking like, oh no, oh no. Um, <laughs> this isn't how it was supposed to go. And my friends hear him, and, and they're like, stop. Like, someone's running after us. Stop. And so I stop, and he runs up. So say, here's my van. He runs up. He puts his arms in the window, and he goes, I didn't get to kiss you goodbye, and grabs my face and starts making out with me. And I don't know what to do. I'm feeling humiliated. There's like, I don't know, five girls in the van watching. And this is like the absolute opposite of what I was so self-conscious and so insecure. And now they're watching me make out with this guy. I kissed him back a little. And then I hit the gas. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I, I know it's a terrible thing to do, but at the time, I, I, I didn't see that. I hit the gas, and that motherfucker hung on for a while. <laughs> like, 
I I was driving, and he had his arms in, and his legs were just like barely, you know, on the ground. And then the the last thing I remember was him falling off the side of the van, and I could hear him saying, but I didn't get your number. (laughs) And um, none of my friends knew I had kissed anyone, so they're all like, who is that? What's happening? Like, who was that guy? And I told them. And, um, yeah, I think it wasn't uh, until years later, probably when I, or a couple years when I was 19, and I got a boyfriend and learned how to act normally in romantic situations that I realized, I reflected, and I realized I was so caught up in my own insecurities and my own worries about whether I would be a good kisser or whether people would make fun of me or I was cool or whatever that I had no clue that I had hurt, probably hurt that guy's feelings, and maybe even his body, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's my story. <laughs> that's Jessica Thompson. The Narrators Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrators Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl. Or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>